0: Welcome to the Betting with a Barbers podcast. Down, Tiki
1: Barber! Intercepted taken away by
2: Ronde Barber. Barber, Barber, and Ray. Hosted by former all-pro NFL stars, Tiki Barber. Tiki with a career high 213 yards rushing. Ronde Barber. That is
3: an interception. that's Ronde Barber's end of the season.
2: And featuring Ron Kroc.
1: Produced in conjunction with GreenRollMedia.com. The world's premier sports betting podcast network. Rooted in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Intercepted, Ron Day Barber to the pylon. Touchdown, cheeky Barber. And presented by the world-famous Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com to get in the action with better odds, favorable prices, and an expansive betting menu. Now live in Nevada, Colorado, and New Jersey. Sign up today at Superbook.com. Superbook.com.
0: NFL kickoff is almost here.
1: Hey, let's dominate today.
0: The Barber twins are buckling up their chin straps and about to take center stage. Let's get the former player perspective on this weekend's NFL betting action with Tiki and Ronda. It's betting with the Barbers. Under center, here's your signal caller,
3: Ron Crook. It's a super matchup between the two number one seeded teams going down in the desert. Welcome everyone to betting with the Barbers powered by Superbook Sports. Ron Kruk, joined as always by the New York Giants all-time leading rusher, that would be Tiki Barber, and Super Bowl champ, and hopefully soon-to-be NFL Hall of Famer, Rondé Barber. Guys, well, if you like offense, and I know one of you really does, you're going to be super stoked for this Super Bowl because you get the number one scoring team in the AFC, the Chiefs, Scoring off with that number one scoring team in the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles, making it just the eighth time that matchup has happened. It's the heavyweight showdown a lot of fans had hoped for between the two best teams in their conferences. So let's talk about how they got here. Tiki, what do you feel was the biggest key to success for both of these
0: teams? Well, I think for the Philadelphia Eagles, it was simple. Jalen Hurts continued to evolve into the star that he was his entire life, from high school to college in Alabama and Oklahoma. He finally has figured it out. Now, he was helped because the Philadelphia Eagles and Howie Roseman, you have to give a ton of credit to, put some serious talent around him, both tight ends and running backs and then by committee. Gainwell comes out of nowhere. and He's one of the best runners in the postseason uh, and obviously their wide receiving core. So when you have a good coach, like a really good coach in Nick Sirianni, whether you love him or loathe him, good offensive mm-hmm. coordinator in and, uh, and Steichen, chain Steichen, and a good defensive coordinator in Jonathan Gannon, who leads the league in sacks and is dominant every single game, the formula is pretty easy. All you got to do is not get hurt and stay healthy. And other than that little bit of a period where Jalen was down, this team is starting the same team on Super Bowl Sunday that they started on week one. And Ronnie can attest. That's that's a big part of success. And for the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, this is just the same thing every year. Five straight <laughs> AFC Championship games that they've hosted, and this is their third Super Bowl in the last four years. So they just also had to keep doing what they're doing and finally find a way to get over the Joe Burrow hump, uh, which, they, which they obviously did. That Burrowhead is no longer an accurate uh, uh, <laughs> description of Arrowhead Stadium, which was in fourth when it needed to be. So, again, it's a team that's upstartish in a sense versus a team that is always here. And it makes for a great matchup. Most importantly, I think from a Black History Month standpoint, this is the first Super Bowl with two Black quarterbacks in some part yeah. of the So it's awesome in so many ways.
2: Ronda,
3: your thoughts on uh, both the Eagles and the Chiefs, the road they took to get to the Super Bowl.
2: I think Tiki did a pretty uh, apt job of describing. Uh, As always. The, the you know, It's what he does. He's on radio every day. He's a talker. He's a gloviator. That's what he is. <laughs> uh, but he, I think he did a really good job explaining uh, where these teams both came from, especially Philadelphia, because Philly was a team that uh, I think at the beginning of the year you felt like they had made all the right moves. And then it just materialized into probably one of the most complete teams in football this year. Now, I'll take it a step further and just talk about the, these these championship games, because if you're Philly, you're looking at a San Fran team that was looking to really do what we did to Philly in 2002, which was going there. Number one seed. There was a lot of cor- correlations, a lot of parallels. John Lynch was on that team. He's GM of the San Francisco 49ers. And you go and watch that game, and you see exactly the type of team that Philly is. They weren't able to overcome, uh, San Francisco that is, their quarterback uh, conundrum, right? Their fourth-string quarterback, Josh John- Johnson. But you watch that game, and Philly did all the right things on offense, right? They ran the ball efficiently. Uh, to me, Jalen Hurts didn't really do anything spectacular, but he didn't do anything that was going to lose them the football game either. But what they did was dominate on defense. And at one point in that game, it was 14-7. to San Francisco had the ball going in right before the half, and Josh Johnson takes a snap and fumbles it. Philly picks it up, complimentary football, goes down and scores. Now all of a sudden it's 21-7, to seven, and for the rest of the game, you look at the, the post-game stats. San Francisco, 45 plays, 164 yards total offense, three sacks, three takeaways. It's blow V8, all you want, Tiki, about the running game, Jalen Hurts, Philly this, Philly that. Mm-hmm. It, it was Philly's defense, dude. They are legit as you can possibly be. And San Francisco's defense, who was number one at the time, couldn't overcome their offense's uh, ineffectiveness, right? In in the KC game, which I thought, which which I think we all knew was going to be the better of the game, it was was a hell of a game. It was back and forth and a tight game. And Joe Burrow wasn't quite great enough, right? Mm -hmm. He was good. I mean, threw for 240 yards, but he also threw two interceptions. One spectacular, by the way. That Cook to Williams' tip interception was unbelievable, But the same issues that have haunted Cincy all year came back. Five sacks, especially that last one by Chris Jones at the end of the game. And he just felt like Kansas City's defense, who's been under-respected all year, finally came up and made some plays in a game against Joe Burrow. Patrick Mahomes, he's the league MVP, dude. There is no better player in football. When it's clutch and you need clutch plays, he makes clutch plays. That Valdez-Scantling throw, scrambling with one leg when when his high ankle sprain started to hurt, and deliver that on the on the move climb in the pocket that's why that dude is the best player in football and uh it's a, it's a right Super Bowl it's the one I think everybody is craving it's going to be awesome in, in a week and a half or so
3: should be a lot of fun depending on when you locked in with Kansas City the favorites went 2-0 and this weekend as you guys just said Kansas City finally getting that win over the their nemesis the Bengals A late field goal, the Eagles easily covering the two and a half by blowing out the 49ers and every quarterback they put on the field. The under hitting in both games, uh, a little bit of a surprise with the Bengals and Chiefs game. And then a lot of live in play money guys came in on the Bengals as bettors were waiting to see how limited Mahomes would be with that ankle injury. Seemed to work out well for the Chiefs and the Bengals as, or, and Mahomes, as well as the guys in the desert. The books did pretty well with Kansas City covering. Well, back in February, we everyone, I guess, had a chance to get to the big the game. And uh, Superbook, of course, posted their Super Bowl odds. Taking a look back, fellas, Kansas City had the shortest odds, or second shortest odds, just behind the Bills at 8-1, to one. And the Eagles super long shots at forty to one. Chiefs <laughs> were four to one to win the AFC right behind the bills, and the Eagles had 20 to one odds to capture the NFC title. Uh, you know, a lot of that, as as Tiki mentioned, behind an unproven at the time, Jalen hurts. But, you know, because our producer Mike Rigg just loves to embarrass us, it's now full disclosure time as we reveal the Super Bowl 57 matchups we predicted back in August. So, who wants to be embarrassed first?
0: I'll go first. Oh, what a guy. <laughs> I think I picked the Bills and uh, the offensive uh, for the NFC, I think I said Green Bay and I knew right away it was a bad pick <laughs> cuz I should have known Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back MVPs, he's got to take that next step. The problem is he didn't show up for any of the offseason, and he had a, a very young receiving core, Christian Watson. It took a few weeks to come on, but he actually ended up leading all rookies and in, in receiving touchdowns. It was a little bit too late. They couldn't beat the Detroit Lions, turned the ball over seven times in two meetings against them, and ultimately fell oh. of the postseason. So I missed woefully on the NFC. Got close with the AFC, even though not really. Uh, buffalo just kind of petered out uh, when it mattered most
2: Ronde I am not recalling uh, specifically <laughs> but I but I think Billy <laughs> I think he was so hard on the, like uh, hard up on the New York Giants that I in the back of my head I said you know what it, not, the Giants aren't going to even win their division well I didn't know that Jalen Hurts was going <laughs> to be the <laughs> presumptive runner up in the MVP and have the year that they had, but they made so many additions on defense. Obviously, you know, going out and getting Linville Joseph, getting uh, uh Gardner Johnson uh, in a trade, acquiring James Bradbury in the secondary, getting Hassan Reddick unrestricted from Carolina. Like those offseason plays in collective meant that you're going to have a good team on defense. And it proved that it proved itself during the year. Uh, AFC, I, I don't remember. I'm going to say Buffalo because everybody was picking Buffalo, but you know, <laughs> in hindsight. I mean, five straight championship games. What the hell are we doing not picking KC? It's just it's just uh, being no brainer. Mahomes can't play anymore. Really,
3: absolutely. I, I think Tiki, we're going to have to go back to the tape and make sure that your brother actually picked Philly. I
2: don't know that that I wasn't know. the the vote of I, confidence of
3: I, I picked think- Philly.
0: I think I, I did
2: I just because of all the years of torment that I've gave, given Philly. I'm just going to keep might be
0: right. right But, but, but With, Croc, I just remember being like, what in the hell are you talking about? There's no, <laughs> no way Philly. I remember saying that. And you, you, you mentioned it multiple times. And it's like, there's yeah. no way Philly, Dallas is going to be better than Philly. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. Gonna it's going to be Dallas.
3: And just to throw shade at you, too, picking the yeah. Eagles, you know, make you mad a little bit. and. All right. Well, I was riding the Josh Allen hype train too. I went the easy route, taking the bills in the AFC. However, I did say the key was going to be them having home field advantage, which Mm -hmm. uh, did not happen. That's why they're watching from home. On the AFC, since I went the easy route, I decided to take a dark horse in the NFC went with an underdog, but instead of taking the 20 to one Philadelphia Eagles, I went with the 20 to one Minnesota Vikings. Mm -hmm. And, um, we all know how that worked out. So uh, right as I'm adding it up, and I'm no math ma- major, but if we give them the Philly pick, one <laughs> six in six our, in our Super Bowl picks, boy, you don't get this kind of uh, insight on every show, folks. So you folks are just lucky that we just keep this thing rolling. Um, that maybe that wasn't
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> was a bad idea to do that segment, was it's, it, guys?
2: Yes. It's kind of great It's <laughs> Not like Philly green, but, you know. All right, let's go. Let's
3: keep this thing moving. Minutes after the game's ended, of course, Superbook had the Super Bowl odds up. And here's how they opened. Uh, some movement for sure. On January 29th, after the game, Superbook.com opened up this game as a pick'em. Um, Money started pouring in pretty quickly, guys, on the Eagles. Went all the way up to Philly 2-2. And current odds right now, as of this recording, the Eagles are a point and a half favorite. The total started at 48. It is all the way up to 50 and a half points now. And the uh, money line, the Eagles currently minus 125 and Kansas City plus 105. So we've had some uh, movement. Let's get into our you know, never much too early for predictions. Yeah. Prediction. Yeah. And uh, just get your thoughts on this matchup. We'll, well have let's, official let's, picks next week.
0: Let's pause a little bit on the line because this is all, this is maybe literally all of Philadelphia betting on the Eagles. Right? <laughs> <It
3: could
0: be. laughs> That's why that line immediately went from, you know, zero, basically a pick to yep. minus two. And now it's settling a little bit as. As reason starts to, set, you know, become in people's minds, and uh, the the non-local better starts to look at this game a little bit deeper and look at how good Pat Mahomes is and how many weapons. I mean, if he can make MVS look like he's a superstar, he's a good player. He's not a superstar. He looked like a superstar, Valdez Scantling in the AFC Championship game. What can Pat Mahomes do to anyone? So I, I think this thing might come closer to the pick 'em as we get closer to the actual game. So just keep your eye on that.
3: Um,
0: The difference in this week, uh, this coming uh, Super Bowls analysis is I think for the first time, the Kansas City Chiefs are facing a suit, like a really stout defense, a team that is going to get after Pat Mahomes, a team that is going to play disruptive defense and It's clever how they do things. And I know Patrick Mahomes is not gonna struggle with it because he's too smart as a as a player and he's he's way above the X's and O's, is that the proverbial football IQ is extraordinarily high. So he'll adjust to it, but it's you're only gonna have a little bit of time. The Eagles get home really quickly. And so those decisions are gonna have to be tighter for Patty Mahomes. And the only thing I worry about from the Eagles is the stage. It's being there for the first time. Um, you know, since they won in 2017, a, a very young, still quarterback in Jalen Hurts, even though he seems unaffected by anything, like he just has this, this stead demeanor about him, which I, which I really can appreciate. Uh, and they have so many offensive of weapons that he should be okay. But the the lack of experience is something that you can't discount on a Super Bowl stage because it will start to become very overwhelming for all of the stars. Uh, on the Philadelphia Eagles, I think the Chiefs are kind of used to it. The stars on the Eagles might not be that used to it. And then you can't ignore the will get into maybe uh, the coaching matchup. I mean, Andy Reid going against his former team and right. And, and Nick Sirianni, who is just cocky as any coach could possibly be, maybe set himself up to be humble. We'll see. I mean, there are so many storylines around this game. Hey, before we jump into that, Tiki, I think you
3: brought such up such a great point of like the first time players going into the big game in the Super Bowl. Both of you have been in that spot. I'd love to get both of your takes on emotionally what was going through your mind when you walked out on that field for the first time in the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Ron, because it's probably a a little different answer for Tiki than it is for me. But for me, my Super Bowl team. Uh, especially on defense, but there was key players on the other side as well on offense. We had been there. I mean, we had been in the NFC Championship game. We were a persistent playoff team. You know, we were top five or 10 defense in in the league every year. So we expected to be there. Our professionalism put us in a position where no game was bigger than any other game. So there was no shock and awe factor uh the fact uh, uh, exasperated by going to philly in our nfc championship game and beating the team that everybody thought was supposed to be in the super bowl that year then we went to, to san diego and played the oakland raiders and it really felt like another game like the other game the previous game was bigger it just felt wow. like it, we we had already we had already won our super bowl in our, in our heads by beating the team that we couldn't beat we lost to Philly two years in a row in playoffs, yada, yada. Dungy gets fired, bring in John Gruden, clear the hump of Philly, Oakland, whoever. It could have been anybody. We could have played Oakland and whoever the best other team was on the same day in the AFC, and we still would have won. We were just, we were, we had that kind of confidence. To me, yeah. that's like
0: Oakland because of the John Gruden recent connection. Oh, I got to tell yeah. you, if I was an analyst at that time, which I, I wasn't, I was still playing, I would have said, this is a foregone conclusion. Right? Oh, it just yeah. probably I, I, it I will say this though: You guys team. had every single advantage that you had to have to beat the Oakland Raiders. In that
2: I, I will say this: I will say this. Our scheme, the way our defense was set up, was absolutely designed to beat the then kind of reinvigoration of the West Coast offense. Like mm. our, our Tampa Two, you call it Tampa Two when teams get in West Coast offense. There's no better defense than the Tampa Two. So we were completely confident of everything. There's only so much you can run out of it. And two basically eliminates everything, especially if you have pass rushers, Simeon Rice, Orange Sapp, et cetera, et cetera. We, we didn't feel like this, it was going to be a game. And it was the
0: middle like, linebacker to run the middle of the field, which is half the battle. When you have Jerry Rice and Tim Brown and, and all this talent. Yeah, you know, exactly. MVP and Rich Gannon, even though he was older, but still, it was still the MVP that Charlie gave. Garner, Charlie Garner yeah. was a great player. You know, It was different for me because unlike Ronde, we weren't battle tested. in fact, if you if you're a giant fan and you think back to that two thousand season, it was brand new for us. same you know pieces in, in a large part. But Sean Payton had reconfigured our offense. It was now thunder and lightning in our backfield. me and 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 Ron Dane. and I rushed for a thousand yards. It was my first thousand yard season. Uh, I could stayed healthy and amonic tumor kind of coming to his own. And we surprised people. Like, don't forget. That season, we lost to the Detroit Lions, who were more bond at that point, oh, and at home. And it was just like, oh, this team is fake. This is a fake Giants team. And Jim Fossil said he had this famous press conference. We're pushing our chips in the center of the table. This team is going to the postseason. And we didn't lose after that. And it was it was right. mostly a surprise for people. Like We just started to dominate. It was more of an emotional lift, more than a you know we're better than anybody type lift as ronnie was alluding to but i think what you're getting at ron is it that week becomes distracting in mm-hmm. so many ways i mean there's thousands of people reaching out to you right? everybody wants an interview uh, everybody wants tickets like everybody wants to know your story the human interest side of it becomes compelling and in some cases you get a little full of yourself you you think that you're that that, that good you got journalists mm-hmm. from Asia wanting to talk to you—it just—it becomes overwhelming if you do, if you're not centered enough on it. And for us, we played a superior team, um, the the Baltimore yeah. Ravens, and we didn't realize it until we took the field. I think for Ronde, it was different because their team was so good. Maybe not offensively, but back then, defense won. Right? It's a cliche that people always talk about: defense wins, defense travels. It's not that's not the case anymore. You got to have a really good offense as well. But in the early 2000s, if you had a dominant all-time defense, all-decade type defense, you could beat almost anybody.
3: Great insight, you guys. Uh, I think our fans definitely appreciate that. And, and Tiki, you mentioned that so many intriguing storylines going into this game. Rondale, i I'll get your take. But, I mean, brotherly love. You got Kelsey versus Kelsey, as Tiki mentioned. Andy Reid facing his old team. You know, the youngest combined age between starting quarterbacks, it it goes on and on. Philly's number one pass defense, Chiefs led the league in scoring, so much going on. What's kind of catching your eye as uh, as we go into Super Bowl week, Rondé?
2: To piggyback on what Tiki said, this is probably the most connected Super Bowl ever. You mentioned the Reed and Kelsey brothers, both number one seeds. Reed fired Nick Sirianni when he got to Kansas City. A lot of people don't talk about that or remember that. Wow, but it, it's, yeah. it, it's a connection. There's juice there, right? There's something to squeeze out of that controversy, I guess, if you're Nick Sirianni. He's probably using his bulletin board material for himself, you know, to beat one of the greatest coaches of all time in Andy Reed. But to me, this matchup, it is the old head. And it's hard to say uh, Mahomes is an old head, but he's an old head. He's experienced. He's been there. Uh, he's got Super Bowl pedigree. His tenure is a little bit more established than Jalen Hurts. It probably ever will be, to be honest with you, because I don't think Jalen Hurts is ever going to be the type of full quarterback that Patrick Mahomes is. Patrick Mahomes, he might be the best mover ever as a pocket thrower. So we talk about the pass rush and, and kudos to the Eagles D-line, but Patrick Mahomes finds ways to get out of tough situation and he's not Patrick. doing it to win football. He's doing it to get the ball out of his hands. And he has a complete mind meld with Travis Kelsey. And whomever else you throw into that situation, uh, he's probably thrown to six or seven different receivers this year. They all seem to find a way to catch balls from him. So the compliment of pass catchers, I think, somewhat negates uh, what uh, Philly does on their defensive line. Now, the question to me in this game will be, how well will that Philadelphia secondary play? Now, that was a little bit revived. We talked about that that earlier, uh, bringing in C.J. Gardner-Johnson, James Bradbury. They have Darius Slay there. So the matchup there, I think, is fascinating. It's gonna probably be the one that I'm most looking forward to watching. But on the other side, and all district, all respect to the to those Philly pass rushers, the best D-lineman left in the playoffs is Chris Jones. Like side. I think he is the game wrecker on the other side of the ball. So if you're Philly, you gotta take care of him. I mean, I I, I love Kansas City's defense because nobody talks about them. They just <laughs> nobody thinks they're really any good. Patrick Mahomes this, Patrick Mahomes yeah. that, Patrick's gonna save the day. Their defense is damn good, man. They get after the quarterback. They have multiple guys with double-digit sacks. I know they lost their corner, Legarius Sneed, last week. The dude had three interceptions, three and a half sacks, and uh, you know probably like six or seven tackles for loss. The guy's like an all-pro. They didn't even get a Pro Bowl nod, mm-hmm. so like they're overlooked. And so, to me, the overlooked team is the dangerous team in this situation. And I and I do love Philly because they can win it. Bunch of different ways, right? It can run the ball. Jalen Hurts creates easy opportunities in the pass game, et cetera, et cetera. They're probably the more well-rounded team. But this is uh, this one's going to be fascinating over the next week to kind of dive into and figure out, you know, best guess uh, when it does become a pick 'em, who is the better team here.
3: We will have our official picks next week. Do we need three weeks between the game, guys? You know, <laughs> no. Let's take <stick> it. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, for me, uh, quickly, you know, the spotlight, the shine's always going to go on the offenses. But I think you both hit on it. The defense uh, matchup on on the, in this Super Bowl is going to be fantastic. Eagles looking to break the Bears all time, uh, you know, uh, sack record. Uh, held by the 84 bears. And, and then you mentioned it, Rondé. I mean, Chris Jones is on a tear, a couple sacks of Joe Burrow, five total sacks on the day. That was a huge key to that victory. Mm -hmm. I think Burrow has never won when he's sacked five times. So all they had to do is hold him to four. They couldn't do it. I think (laughs) that's going to be the real intrigue to this game in the trenches. Uh, You know, the Billy D line, I mean, They're taking on, in my opinion, kind of an average line in Kansas City. They punched a much better San Francisco 49er offensive line in the mouth last week and and really took it to them. So the other thing that stands out to me is the weapons. Uh, Beyond Mahomes, I don't think the Chiefs have the same type of weapons that the Eagles do. I mean, uh, Marcus Kemp, he ended up as the second receiver on the Chiefs on the field. He has eight career targets. Doesn't matter. Uh, you look, it, doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I just, I think that's going to be something to watch. Hey, big players come out and play in big games. So we will see what goes. We have another week to break this down. So we're not going to give our, our predictions yet. You have to tune in next week. And this is the time because Superbook is offering some great bonuses before the Super Bowl, especially for new customers. Get up to a thousand dollar bonus when you sign up. Make a deposit and a wager. Make sure you are downloading the SuperBook app today, and you're following us on all social media platforms at SuperBook Sports, guys. According to Jay Cornegay, our chief odds maker, they're going to have something like 500 different prop bets for the game, and well over a thousand betting options. I mean, we got to hit something, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's easy. All you got to do is pick.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well said. Well said. All right, guys. Well, we close out today. Let's just hit on some of the massive news and notes that uh went down this week heading into the Super Bowl, some big time coaching hires, and the GOAT retiring again. Let's get your takes on on first that Tom Brady announcing his retirement again after 23 years, seven Super Bowl championships, five Super Bowl MVPs. Uh, This week, he said he's hanging it up for good this time. Rondé, you're the buck for life. So uh, what was your initial reaction to this big news?
2: I was pretty confident uh, going into this offseason that Tom Brady was either playing for the Bucs next year or he was retiring. And I'm pretty sure that it was mutual that it was time for him to retire. I mean, he has nothing at all left to prove. Playing again for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year, it's just it was not going to be a good option. Their offense was set in stone, really, for much of the season. And those 15 Pro Bowls and three MVPs and all these other things that make Tom Brady great, they were not on display for the greater part of this year. It doesn't mean he didn't have a good year. I mean, he had good numbers, but this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. You know, all that talk of him going to San Francisco, Las Vegas, Miami, they run offenses that don't suit him. Maybe Las Vegas, but he wasn't going to go to Las Vegas uh, to play one year. And, uh, I mean, you, you congratulate the guy. His expansive career is completely all-worthy, and uh, they should make an exception to the Hall of Fame let him go in next year because there is nobody better. He is the greatest to ever play professional football, if you ask me, at that position. And it's, uh, it's, it, he had an amazing career. The run is done. Retired the same time last year. I don't think we're getting a call in March that he's coming back uh, in uh, 2023.
0: Yeah, I think Rondé lays that out well. Tom Brady is truly the greatest achiever that we've ever seen. And I mean that because he doesn't have the natural talent that you would expect a drafted-from-college bona fide, you know, no-doubt hall-of-famer is going to have. He's not the fastest, clearly. We all saw his combine tape. He doesn't have the (laughs) biggest arm, which you've seen over the display over the last, you know, eight to ten years. Um, you know, he's obviously got a good head above himself, but he doesn't do anything special except for have that proverbial over cliched it like whatever. If you could pull that out of him and inject it into any young quarterback, you would do it in a heartbeat regardless of their skill. He's just been phenomenal over the course of his career. And you can't do anything but tip your cap and respect the hell out of him. whether you were an AFC East opponent who he tormented for two decades, it felt like, and all of the, you know, the ups and downs that he, uh, that, he that he's endured in this last couple of years in Tampa, it's worth it, right? If you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who were a team who felt like they had a team that could win, but they were a quarterback away, you never say that about anybody, no team is a player away, but the Buccaneers felt like they were a quarterback away. He goes down there, throws for almost 15,000 yards wins a whole lot of games, and gets you a championship, it was worth it, no matter how bad it feels after this season. He's a legend. He's iconic. And I don't know if we'll ever see a winner like Tom Brady again in the NFL. Mm. And now Tampa Bay begins the search for
3: a new quarterback, unless they want to move forward with uh, Kyle Trask out of Florida. Second-round pick. We'll see how that happens. But a preseason. He had a
2: good preseason. They- he, a good
3: preseason. <laughs> he did. There you go. There you go. They also have some major salary cap issues to deal with. So we'll see what happens in the offseason. Great insight, as always. Up next, uh, former New Orleans Saint and Super Bowl-winning head coach Sean Payton is back as the Denver Broncos acquired his contractual rights for a 2023 first-round pick from San Francisco and a 2024 second-round pick. They go to New Orleans for Payton and their 2024 third-round pick basically guys to break this down Denver exchanged exchanged Peyton for linebacker Bradley Chubb who they traded to Miami and then uh, got the San Francisco number one pick so Peyton is back in the league tiki your take on this deal
0: I mean I, it was only a matter of time I I think Peyton was uh, Sean Payton was waiting to pick his destination a lot of us were speculating and I don't know if this was actual fact. But if Mike McCarthy would have gotten fired, uh, and they got pretty damn close. They cleaned out everybody else down there. Sean Payton was waiting for that job. When he left the Giants, that's where he went. He tutelaged under Bill Parcells when he was interim there. He kind of set up a home, um, has relationships in Dallas. It it felt like that was what he was waiting for. And you know that Jerry Jones would have spent whatever he could have uh, to get Sean Payton, meaning capital-wise, because he needs someone to fix that but now that he's in denver i think it's it's a good thing for uh, russell wilson russell had one of the worst seasons that a not quite mvp but he's always been in that mvp conversation has had in years and so much of it is because he got so full of himself believing what he should be doing as opposed to what he can do that they had no control nathaniel hackett you know god bless him had no control over a guy who has his own parking spot right out front of the and and has an office in these team offices. I don't know, I mean Ronde has an office in the Buccaneers facility, but that happened, you know, 15 <laughs> years after he after he left the game or 10 years after he left the game. I don't think I've ever seen a situation where a current player has an office in the in the coach's office area. No. It's it's isolating. It's differentiating. It is the last thing you would expect a leader or a teammate to do in football. Um, and so Sean Payton will tell him about himself. And I think that's a great thing for Russell Wilson. So it's a great signing. Um, it's a, it's, you give up basically nothing that's your own. Uh, the different Broncos needed this more than any team has
2: needed a new head coach in a long time. Yeah, I agree, Tiki. It makes complete sense. I mean, this if there was a team that was going to spend this kind of capital on it, on trading for a head coach, it was definitely Denver. Now, the the real question is, can you save Russ? I've I've had plenty of conversations with Russ. I like Russ, but Russ thinks that it's all about Russ. Mm -hmm. And he needs a run game, a solid run game, and a strong defense. That's what made him a success in Seattle. People want to try to forget that, but the reality is their success was based on the players that he had around him, and he was never a guy that was going to do it by himself. So – Hearing those, the stories that you know he was somewhat of a prima in Denver and you know you couldn't get his phone number if you were his teammate you know it's like come on dude it, 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 it. Sean Payton good luck is what I, is what yeah. is my is my message now things so, are changing so, right Sean is a scheme is a scheme a specific type of play caller now and if you look at what he did in New Orleans obviously I played against him for many years when he had Drew Brees he needs an efficient deliver of the football. That right now, and over the course of his career, has not been Russell Wilson. He likes to hold on to the ball. He only threw 16 touchdowns this year. Great. Who cares? Bad numbers. He took 55 sacks. It's the most he's ever had in his career because he will not let go of the football. If he can't get Russell Wilson to turn into more like a Drew Brees deliverer of the right. football, watch Drew Brees go. If you want if you want to, go back and watch Drew Brees highlight clips and watch him work the field. It's like, bang, bang, ball out. Bing, 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 ball out. Russell does not do that. He's looking for home run hits all the time, and he's oh, got a long way to go to fit into a Sean Payton type of offense. But Sean's there to turn the whole the whole deal around. There's no better coach over the you know those 15 years that he was in New Orleans Saints. I would not doubt him at all, and he's getting paid hands- handsomely. So he has incentive to do it.
3: I wonder what he's going to turn Russell's office into. <laughs> that might be, that yeah. might be interesting. It's not going to be Russell's office anymore. Get
0: your ass uh, in the locker room, dude.
3: Exactly. Uh, just having uh, my feet on the ground here in Colorado, the Broncos couldn't take another chance on a first-time head coach, college no. coach. They needed to bring in an established leader who's been there and done that to be an adult, not only in the facility, but on the sidelines too. I think it was a great move, but they are all in, guys. Denver has now traded and acquired. Here's the breakdown Denver's traded three first round picks, three second round picks, a fifth round pick, Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and Shelby Harris for Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, a fourth round pick, and a 2024 third round pick. Mm -hmm. All in. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how this works out because right now, it's been an absolute disaster.
0: You better you better hope sunshine runs downhill.
3: <laughs> well said.
0: Okay. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> Keeping it clean. Well done. All right. Finally, guys. Hey, maybe the most sought after coach out there is going to the Houston Texans. What? The Texans hire San Francisco 49er. Defensive coordinator and former Pro Bowl linebacker, D'Amico Ryans, as their newest head coach. Ryans is reunited with the team that drafted him uh, second round back in 2006. I mean, guys, hiring Ryans, one of the league's most sought-after defensive coordinator who just happens to be a former Texan. I mean, it seems like a home run hire. What are your thoughts? We'll start with you, Tiki.
0: Well, I think D'Amico Ryan's is a fantastic mind. He's young and he's never been a head coach. In fact, he barely stayed, just stepped into the defensive coordinator role a couple of years ago because Robert Sala left to become the head coach of the New York Jets. Now, what I think is, is happening with D'Amico is that he's obviously got a great mind and he knows the game. He's He doesn't feel that far removed from playing, even though he is our age, Rondé, a little bit younger than us. Uh, in fact, he was a contemporary of ours. However, um, as we tend to do, we become obsessed with a coaching tree. Like whose brand are you borrowing? Whose style of, of leadership are you, are you using when you hire your new head coach? And it's why Robert Sala got the job with the Jets because of his connection to Kyle Shanahan and D'Amico Ryan's is the same way. I mean, Shanahan's tree is becoming you know, pretty expansive. Really, it goes back to his, his father uh, and Gary Kubiak, right. but I think that I think that it's, it's a good hire because the team is nowhere near winning, and he's going to, if given the right resources and the patience, he's going to be able to grow as a coach and as a leader, but also build a team in his image. Um, and I think that's that's the most important thing for Houston. I mean, they they've been clobbered, you know, first first with the Sean Watson stuff, and and then with the I don't want to call them this because I feel like I'm, I'm disrespecting these last two head coaches, Lovey Smith being one of them, these, these token hires uh, that they did down there that were just simply one-year bridges. Uh, there, was no, there was no expectation they were going to be there for more than a year. It was a disservice to the organization. They did it because they needed to reset. I'm glad that they've espoused the Rooney rule over and over and over again and have hired now three successive black head coaches. Uh, actually four, if you think about it, Ronnie, you're right. Four successive black head coaches, and D'Amico Ryans is eager, he's young. I-, I love his energy. I did one of the 49ers games two years ago and got a chance to talk to him. I love his mindset and, his wit- and the way that he talks uh, about football. Uh, so I think it's a great hire. The only challenge is going to be, what does your staff look like? I don't care who gets hired, as a head coach, the most important thing is who are who is on your staff. And if you get that wrong, no matter how good you could be, you're going to fail.
2: That's exactly right, Tiki. And in the, in the fourth one there was Romeo Cornell when he was the interim coach before they hired uh, uh, two years ago. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Tiki. Yes, it helps that he played there. He has familiarity there. There's so many people that probably in that organization when he was there that just they speak glowingly about the guy as a player as way he prepared the way he helped other people they brought in players to take his job he coached them up he's a unique individual but there's a lot of unique individuals in the game what i think he has is his ability to implement his philosophy on a unit now he's a young coach and you just never know with young coaches i can't sit here and say he's going to be successful because you just don't know I would have thought 15 years ago, whenever it was, 12 years ago, when Raheem was became our head coach, that he was going to be successful because he had this energy. He understood defense. But to Tiki's point, if you don't hire the right people, and he fired three coordinators, defensive coordinator and two offensive coordinators, try to get it right, and he didn't. So to me, it's how do you how do you get the right people around you, and then how do you implement your philosophy? He has was great in San Francisco, hustle it. Be sound. Don't do anything to beat you. He knows it's more because his recent playing, recent-ish playing days, it's more about execution than it is about X's and O's. The hard part for a new head coach is getting that philosophy on board with your players. You only got you, it, taken away most of your offseason. You don't have uh, all those spring practices that we were used to be able to come into the building to do. You have a couple of ODAs. You have mini camp. And the next thing you know, you're in training camp. And if if you're able to input your entire playbook plus your philosophy on a team, then you see immediate changes. To me, that's going to take time because he's never done it before. He's never been a head coach before. He's never had to stand in front of 53 to 101 or whatever the number is, players in training camp, and give his philosophy on football. And he's going to have to do that now. I mean, I think it's a great hire because he's a great mind, like Tiki said. His defensive philosophy will probably take hold pretty quickly, but there's a lot more that goes into being head coach. You're the CEO of one of 32 franchises, man, and you can't be wrong about it. So good luck to him because I know I'm rooting for the guy because it would be nice to see guys like him find some success early in their uh, head coaching career.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And he was a hot commodity. The lot of talk here in Denver, too, that they wanted Ryan's. But what a great hire. Uh, beloved former Texan player, rookie of the year. Exactly what this fan base needed because it's been a gong show in H-Town for a few years. And I also love the fact Lovey Smith took the number one pick with him out the door. Just saying, <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, guys, that's going to do it. For this edition of Betting with the Barbers, please take a second to like, rate, and subscribe. Betting with the Barbers is available on Spotify, Apple Music, and, of course, at Superbook.com. All right, final thoughts, fellas, before we overhype the game next week.
0: I know that Peyton and Eli Manning are fantastic people. I love them both uh, to death. I am not watching the Pro Bowl <laughs> festivities. <laughs> I mean, good luck. I'll I'll, I'll read about it. I'm not watching it. Uh,
2: My final thought is uh, ditto.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, always straight to the point. I'm going to leave you with this Of, of two things I'm still confused at before we go. One, who's the dude that put the jersey on the Rocky statue from San Francisco? They've been three teams have done that and they're 0 3. And now you're 0 4 because you got KO'd like Ivan Drago. Second, Tiki, who's the guy that lit up the Empire State Building in green and then tweeted know. "Fly Eagles, Fly"? Money. What's going on out there?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was Benjamin Franklin. That's what. That's who that was. Oh,
3: that's what the green. Yeah. Ones.
0: By the way, whoever put this, the, all those you know fans of the opposing team that throw those jerseys on the Philadelphia statue, they all think it's an original
2: idea. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, oh, I, got, I got one final thought. It just occurred to me. Now that I Brady's really retired, would. can we please get him in the Fox broadcasting booth this week? I would love to. See him. <laughs> I would love to. Don't <laughs> be, be a singer. <laughs> just well said,
3: sir. Clear. Well, <laughs> Well, the big game is approaching. Remember, Superbook has you covered with around 500 different prop bets for, and I think over 1,000 betting options. Download the Superbook app today. Sign up, make a deposit, wager, and get in on the Super Bowl craziness. I know we went long, but, you know, we have to send out a, a happy birthday to our producer and fearless leader, Mike Rigg. We went long just for you, buddy.
0: Just for you, Mike. Happy birthday. birthday to you. You're old. You're old. You're old. Happy Go
3: get a few birthday. IPAs, buddy. Happy birthday. Happy
0: birthday,
3: birthday.
0: Birthday. birthday
3: to you. We're approaching an hour on the broadcast.
2: <laughs> Happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday i had to I'm give you a i had to give you the other version too Ray. that was
3: well done <laughs> for tiki and Rondé barber i'm ron cruck we'll talk to you next week everybody
2: you've been locked into the bang with a
0: barber's podcast
3: 10 5 touchdown tiki barber
0: Presented by Superbook Sports. Featuring former All-Pro NFL stars Tiki and Rondé Barber. And featuring Ron Kruk. Subscribe, rate, follow, and review today. And never miss out on the Barber Twins weekly betting advice.
2: Tiki Barber takes it all the way. 62 yards. Rondé Barber broke up the play. Rondé Barber breaks it up.